Welcome to Happened Here. People, places, and the stories they tell. I'm Joanna Lumley, host of Episode 7, Anglo-Saxon London, only a hundred generations ago. Although the whereabouts of Anglo-Saxon London between the 7th and 9th centuries were for hundreds of years a mystery, excavations that began with the redevelopment of the Jubilee Hall in 1985 have conclusively shown that after the Romans left Britain, the Anglo-Saxons made their homes in what is now Covent Garden. Our stories in this episode paint a picture of a world both hauntingly familiar and strange, of a child burning with fever who may not survive the night, and of ancient coins left behind in the face of a Viking onslaught. In our first story, we imagine how people might have lived and thought a hundred generations ago, the objects we'd recognise and the beliefs we might not. Without further ado, let's begin. Under the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden. Wattle, Worms and Weird Sisters. Written by Robbie Stamp. Performed by Sharma Rahman. Tweezers for grooming beards and eyebrows. Glassware. Oyster shells. Hanging bowls full of hazelnuts. A few of the thousands of rich archaeological treasures that have been discovered in Covent Garden that give us glimpses into the lives and beliefs of the people who lived there in Anglo-Saxon London between the 6th and 9th centuries. 63 timber buildings were found at extensive excavations at the Royal Opera House in 1996. Underneath the opera's own theatrical treasures, in its property store, a wealthy female had lain buried for centuries with a disc brooch and a few linked silver rings, which once made up her necklace. Another woman, found under the Transport Museum, wore a shield-on-tongue buckle and an amber necklace from far away in the Baltics. These people live in a landscape of low hills, streams and fields laid out in strips. Slopes fall away, in some places quite steeply, towards the River Thames, a hundred metres closer than it is today. Thatched homes and communal halls, made of a wattle of oak, hazel and willow, daubed in a mix of clay and straw that dries like plaster. Smoke from fires and stone hearths finds its way through the thatch. Sometimes it looks as if the whole community is breathing as one, wisp-grey breath in the wind. Inside the homes, the wood smoke keeps the flies and the mice at bay. Underlying smells would challenge the modern nostril. Pots, benches, chests, blankets, clothing coloured by bright dyes made from plants, veld that creates a glorious lemon yellow, and madder, beautiful oranges and reds. Days spent farming, fishing, weaving, bartering at the market of Lundenvik. The dominant meeting hall, great oak door unlocked with a large key made of reindeer bone, is decorated with carvings, hung with tapestries, great beams supporting the roof, a place for feasting and gift-giving, the settling of disputes. By night, 
Mutton-fat candles and a great fire in the hearth cast shadows as the community gathers for song and fable, tales of monsters, giants and ghosts, the spirits of rivers, trees and stones with great powers of an enchanted landscape. Enchanted. A realm of spell, ritual and incantation. This was a world of worms, dragons who crawled, of drakes, dragons who flew, of giant ents, demon orcs and powerful elves. Anglo-Saxon King Alfred, one of England's great kings, has a name that echoes this magical world. His name in Old English is Eofred, meaning elf council or wise elf. Beautiful echoes for J.R.R. Tolkien and much inspiration for The Lord of the Rings. It is a world both familiar and unfamiliar, where people who tweeze their beards and shuck oysters also shudder at the weird sisters. Witches. Shakespeare set his famous tragedy Macbeth in this era and the weird sisters' foretelling of his doom echoes down the years. To this day, say the name Macbeth in a theatre and the culprit will be asked to leave the building, spin round three times, spit, curse and knock to be allowed back in. Maybe, in the midst of the electric lights and glamour of modern London's theatreland, we are connected still to those Anglo-Saxon fibres, not so far distant from this magical world after all. Covent Garden's theatrical and storytelling connections have deep roots, as does this land's connection with plants and herbs. Anglo-Saxon society was suffused with the lore of plants, with incantations and potions. 7th century timber house under Maiden Lane, Covent Garden. The Lay of Nine Herbs. Written by Robbie Stamp, performed by Olivia Bell. In the British Library is a manuscript known as the Lacnunga, an old English word meaning remedies. It is a codex, a list of healing chants, rituals and plant-based concoctions written down by Christian monks in the 10th century, but reflecting knowledge from centuries earlier, from Anglo-Saxon culture. One of the charms, the Lay of Nine Herbs, is for the treatment of infection and poisoning, otra ont onflia. Eowyn, whose name means from river and joy, is only a few days from her ninth birthday and is burning up from a fever. She lies on a blanket on a wooden bench in her family's hut in Luganwich, Anglo-Saxon London, bathed in light from a single candlestick. Smoke from the fire curls into the thatched roof. Her family, parents, older brother and sister, watch anxiously as her grandmother prepares a remedy. Grandmother Swetharun is known by all in the community as a cunning woman, a woman of healing. Her name, Swetharun, means from sweet and mystery. She has a large leather bag by her side with scalpels, antler cones, metal cylinders and amulet pendants containing plants and cloth. She mixes a slop of water and ashes, crushes mugwort, plantain, lambcress, betony, maywood nettle and chervil with apple. 
She kneads soap into the herb and apple gore. Removing fennel from a pot of boiling water hanging on a cradle over the fire, she combines all into a thick paste and all the time singing. Yeminathu muchwirt, thwatu almeldodest, thwatu renadest atreyen melde, uno thu hotest ildoswirto. Thu mit with thria und with thritig, thu mit with otra und with onflia, thu mit with tham lathen the yeon lonfarth. Still singing over the paste as it cools, Swetharun adds in a beaten egg, turns to Eowyn, long dark hair streaked with grey, falling over her granddaughter's face, and sings her lullaby in turn into both ears. Itch anawat. Eirinenda, Tharthuni on Nodra Neyan Behialdath, Motten Iala Weoda nu Virtum Aspringan, Sostos Lupen Ialsealtuatar, Thone itch this ator of Thea Blower. I alone know of a river running, there the nine adders near it behold. May all weeds now from warts spring, cease to slip away all salt water when I this venom from thee blow. Taking a cloth from her bag, she wipes the fever sweat from Eowyn, spreads the apple paste on her body, blows gently across the child's face, and then hums a worldless lullaby that fills the hut, along with the crackle of the flame, and she soothingly rocks the child. Eowyn will live to see her ninth birthday. In a beautiful example of the deep roots in London's history, only as recently as 2018, many of the herbs described in this incantation were found growing wild in the city of London's last remaining Second World War bomb site in Oldgate, just a few miles to the east of Covent Garden. A manuscript you could see to this day in the British Museum. Plants that you could find and cultivate to this day. Real things that link us through a millennia and a half of history to our third story. That is, with a little bit of imaginative licence, also based on objects you could touch to this day. Earthworks under the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden. Run for your life. Written by Robbie Stamp. Performed by Lulu Freeman. In 1996, during excavations at the Royal Opera House, a find was made of a fortified east-west ditch, clearly once dug to ward off invaders. The dark earth contained 21 stiker, coins from the Kingdom of Northumbria in north-east Britain, minted by King Osbert. Who left them there? It is 851 AD. Leofric, a merchant from York in Osbert's kingdom, is a long way from home, and he is terrified. He has chosen the wrong week to visit Londonvic to trade animal hides. The Vikings are back. The battle cries and screams from the foreshore by the Thames carry across the fields. 
There are too many raiders' ships to count. There are hundreds. The river is lousy with them. The fighting is intense. Run, cries the voice in his head. There's no way back to the ship. Get home by land, on my own. Impossible. Have to find somewhere to hide. Don't get caught with the money. There's no other way to pay for passage home. He runs up the steep slope away from the Thames, past huts already ablaze. Vikings drag a father and his young sons from their home. The screams of his wife and daughter are piteous and futile. He thinks of his own family. In his fear, his Christianity forgotten, Leofric cries out to the old pagan goddess of home, marriage, love and children. Frigga, please just get me home. Leofric comes to a part of Londonvik that seems barely inhabited anymore. Nobody to see him here. Bury the money, keep a bit, find somewhere to hide for a few weeks, come back. I need a mark, somewhere to come back to. Just a few years earlier, the Vikings first raided London in what chroniclers later described as the Great Slaughter. In 851 AD, the year of Leofric's untimely visit, they came back with as many as 350 ships. Over the next 30 years, they pushed the Anglo-Saxon kings to the brink of destruction. Then Alfred the Great of the House of Wessex at one stage reduced to hiding in the Somerset marshes in southwest England with only a few retainers and burning cakes, allegedly, led a fight back in a series of battles. And finally, in 886 AD, Alfred reoccupied London and began the re-fortification of the old Roman city walls east of Londonvic. London became a frontier town, just a few miles from the River Lee, where Viking territory began. In the face of the Viking raids, Londonvik, once an international market where traders like Leofric converged, had simply become too vulnerable, and the settlement called Londonvik and its precise whereabouts passed out of memory and the port area became known by the name it has to this day, the Old Witch. Old Market, or Port, in Old English. But on this terrifying day in 851 AD, Leofric is still frantically looking for a place to hide his money. He sees an ancient oak tree alongside a filled-in ditch. This tree... Leofric mumbles an imprecation as he digs. Old one, mark my way, keep my money safe. The branches rustle in the wind. The screams are not going away. Maybe Frigg did hear his prayers and get Leofric back to his family. But whoever did bury the coins never did come back for them. From the weird sisters and healing grandmas to Anglo-Saxon coins under the Royal Opera House. 
happened here. People, places and the stories they tell. Hello, I'm Olivia and I read and sang The Lay of Nine Herbs. I was so thrilled to be able to read the song to you in Anglo-Saxon. It's a beautiful language which doesn't get anywhere near enough airtime normally. If you'd like to know more about this period, why not come and join the Happened Here community at happenedhere.com. But for now, from everybody involved in Happened Here, the writers, the hosts, the performers, thank you for listening. Do come again. We've got lots more stories to tell. Ah, happened here.